Good morning. Man, I love this church. Uh, I don't know who all knows this, but uh, my history with this church is uh, I, my family um, was looking for a church, and I was at a point in my life, I was a junior, or sophomore in high school, and uh, I was carrying a lot of anger, a lot of bitterness, um, just when it came to God. I didn't have a great view of Him, um, and when I started coming to this church, and specifically to the youth group, I started realizing this acceptance and this love that I'd never experienced before. And uh, that was pretty important because uh, I'm, I'm pretty strange, like I'm a weird guy, and so somebody that would just accept me for me was like totally foreign. Um, more specifically, my sense of humor is really weird. If you get to know me, you'll be like, yeah, that's true, You're, he's very strange. Um, <clears throat> but I remember the, the youth group had this thing going on at, at Greenway called the Slip and Slide Championship. And basically what it was is, is you were supposed to have a walk-in song, and you were supposed to have a costume. And then whoever had the most creative, the best, you know, the best slide, you know, won. And they put a ramp in this, the center of this, of this slip and slide. And uh, my brain works like really weird. And I thought, man, what would be really funny is if I, if I took the song Butterfly Kisses. I don't know if you guys know that song. It's a little bit older. Butterfly Kisses. And uh, if I took this tender song and uh, I, my, my costume, now I didn't, I didn't I didn't bring the picture because it was a little inappropriate for church, but I had very short jean shorts, and then I found at a thrift store this shirt that had these butterflies on it, and I cut it to be like a belly shirt, and I made these tassels on the side, very nice, and then I took temporary tattoos, put one on my neck, one on my stomach, and then I put on a black trash bag over this um, to basically be my cocoon, and in the middle of the song... I tore through this cocoon. And go ahead and show like the first, okay, so that's me tearing through the cocoon. You can kind of see my uh, pasty white legs uh, shining from underneath there. And uh, what happened though is as I went down the slide, I didn't go down perfectly center. And so there's this ramp that's supposed to really help me. Uh, but go ahead and show the first, the first okay, so there I'm kind of going. You may not be able to tell, but I'm slightly off. Go and show the next one, okay? And then go ahead and show the last one. Okay, so you can see the noise coming out of my mouth at that point was something like a... I, it hit like my side. I'm, I'm surprised it didn't puncture anything. But anyways, there was this ramp that was there that was supposed to help me, but I was slightly off, and what it really ended up doing was hurting me. We're starting into a series called Unlearning Religion, and the whole thought process is, a lot of times what we do is we want to experience the love of God. We want to have a close relationship with Him. And so what we do is, is we try really, really hard, and we, and we accept these institutions and these rules that, that throws us slightly off. And the very thing that was supposed to help you really hurts you. I think a lot of us carry religion, and you might be confused. You're like, religion, isn't that what we're doing right now? But religion is the thought of, I can achieve the love of God. I can do good enough to get the love of God. But a relationship with God is, is receiving by believing. Just saying, God, I know I'm not good enough. I'm going to receive your love. And then that love is going to change me to do the things that God has called me to do. 
It seems like a slight change, but it makes a huge difference. So this series, we're going to be looking at what are the things that have caused us to overcomplicate God's gospel? What are the things that causes us more discouragement than hope? I believe that God has a life for you that is a life above and beyond. It's life to the fullest. But I believe that sometimes we accept this man-made religion that causes us more stress and pain and anxiety and anger and jealousy and comparison than it does the life that God has for you. So we're going to jump right into this. Um, You know, I think our attempt to get God to love us, we have this attempt of, I'm going to attempt, I'm going to try, and it's really keeping us from experiencing the love that is already there. So the very first thing, if you have your notes, uh, either in your program or on the app, what it says is, the very first thing is, religion says Jesus plus works equals life. But a relationship says Jesus equals life. 1 John 5, 12, it says this, whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have God's Son does not have life. You see, that it makes it very clear. Whoever has the Son, whoever has Jesus, has life. Whoever does not have God's Son does not have life. Um, I don't know if anybody here is into, like, science and chemistry and all that kind of stuff. I was never really good at chemistry, but as I get older, I'm like, man, I wish I would have paid more attention, because I really believe that all of creation points to our Creator. I believe that science and all that kind of stuff does not combat our relationship with God. I believe it actually supports um, but we're actually, I'm going to take a stab at some, some chemistry stuff here pretty soon. And if I get some terms wrong, take it easy on me. Um, but anyways, so to my understanding, if Wikipedia is correct, uh, there, so let's say this is an atom and this is oxygen. Okay. Um, oxygen, what you would get is the atom is oxygen. If you have oxygen, the element would be oxygen. And then the result would be life. You know, we use oxygen to be able to survive. But let's say you have this oxygen molecule right here, and then you just decide, you know what, I'm going to add carbon to it. Okay, so you decide that oxygen is great, I'm going to add carbon, see what happens. What happens is, is the atoms are oxygen and carbon, and what happens is it produces uh, carbon monoxide. Okay, and then what happens is, is if that is what you're breathing... There's a whole lot of side effects that happen from that, but if that is the soul, if you're thinking, okay, I need life, and so I'm going to breathe in carbon monoxide, it results in death. So what you see is that just adding this one little component, oxygen is something that results in life, but you add one component to it, and it results in death. And so with unlearning religion, what the Bible is saying here is that whoever has the Son has life. So we see Jesus, let's say Jesus is the Adam. Okay, And this is what you are putting your faith in to experience the life, where is life to the fullest, where you are brought to the fullest joy, where your soul is, is fulfilled. Okay, If you have Jesus right here, you're putting your faith in Jesus, the product would be love, where you experience his love, and, and in that you're loving him and loving other people, and the result is life, life to the fullest, the life that, that every single person is looking for. But you see, what we have done is in our own pride, in our own insecurities, in our own just humanity, 
what happens is, a lot of times what happens is we take Jesus or God, but then we, we decide to add something here. We decide to add works. And what happens is you take, it, it becomes Jesus plus works, and it produces religion. And the result is death. You see, and when I say death, it doesn't mean that if you have, you know, put some works into your faith where you think, okay, I want to see myself come to life and so I'm going to accept Jesus, but then also I need to be good enough. I need to do all these things in order for him to love me. I'm not saying you will drop dead in the instant, but what happens is, is your decisions, the way you're, you're living, you'll just be filled with anger, stress, comparison, jealousy, a lot of things that, that, that are, are, are death in our lives. But what's, what, what's so crazy is you're just one thing. If you just trust in Jesus, and Jesus alone, it leads to life. But the second we try to add works in, all of a sudden this, this guilt and this shame and all this stuff you were never meant to carry, all of a sudden is added on. And so it is so important for us to realize that, man, it is all in Jesus. A relationship with Jesus is how I attain life, not a religion where I'm trying to be good enough. Uh, Galatians 3 says this, Is there a conflict then between God's law and God's promises? Absolutely not. If the law gave us new life, we could be made right with God by obeying it, but the scriptures declare that we are all prisoners of sin, so we receive God's promise of freedom only by believing in Jesus Christ. I want to encourage you to underline that word only, only by believing in Jesus Christ. And then Jesus says this in John 5. He says, you search the scriptures because you think they give you eternal life. But the scriptures point to me, yet you refuse to come to me to receive this life. What he's saying to the Pharisees is, hey, you know the Bible in and out. You know everything about it, but you think if I study this Bible enough, if I do enough good things, I'm going to receive something from this where I receive life. But he's saying all the scriptures point to Jesus. It's all in Jesus. You know, you can be, you can spend your entire life reading the Bible and praying and coming to church and doing a lot of stuff and missing out on the one thing that will bring you life, and that's just a relationship with Jesus. I believe a relationship with him drives us to prayer and drives us to reading our Bible and coming to church and experiencing the life he has for you, but it's not this thing where it's, I need to do these things and then I will receive life. Um, you know, my story... Uh, I went to a private school, and with this private school was a church, and that church I went to the youth group, and there was a lot of really good people in this church, but it was, it was extremely strict, um, you know, a lot, of, a lot of good people, but uh, a lot of religion, a lot of made-up rules, and, um, you know, some of the rules, it's like, you know, not just like, hey, make sure that you are keeping your mind pure, but like, hey, the movies that you watch... You shouldn't watch the wrong movies, which is right, but then like, hey, you can't go to a movie theater because people might think that you're going to the wrong movie. Or like women, not just like modesty, but like it has to be a skirt at a certain length. Um, you know, music, it can't have a beat or that will just, that will infect you with, with lust. You know, certain things that, that, and that was seriously like the thought, like it will, you will burn with passion. Um, and, uh, and this, uh, or like, not, hey, you need to be reading the Bible, but like, hey, it needs to be the KJV. Like, it, if not, then you're, then you're sinning. Like, it's, it's wrong. 
And, and, and my, my parents are, are great parents. A lot of you guys know them. And so, like, none of this came from them. That wasn't, like, their thought process. And they taught me, like, the right things. But, but just being around that environment, I caught a lot, of, a lot of stuff where I didn't necessarily believe a lot of this stuff, but I carried that sort of pressure and that stress of, hey, I need to be good enough. And there's this performance-based faith where I was putting faith not just in Jesus, but, hey, I need to do the right things. I need people to see that I'm doing the right things. And it kind of felt like, you know, if you're at like a Little League game, it's always really depressing when there's a kid that, that will strike out. But instead of them like loving the game, they look straight to their dad and they look and see like, what's, what's his reaction going to be? Like, is he going to be mad at me? And that was kind of like my relationship with Jesus was like, was I didn't have a love or a passion for the game, for, for, for Jesus. It was a performance base where if I messed up, I was constantly looking at God thinking, is he mad at me? Is he, is he frustrated? And you know what happens is, is with those sorts of kids in Little League, it's like either they carry this stress, or this, this, this stress and this pressure or, or they just say, I'm done with it. I, I'm out. I, I, I hate baseball. You know? and, and that's what... Well, that, that's what I saw from a lot of the people that I grew up with, and I carried a lot of this, where it was like this sort of stress, this pressure, or you had the other kids that were just like, I'm out. I, I don't want anything to do with God. This is what it's about. And some of you guys may not have, have grown up with that sort of experience, but I think all of us have this sort of religion, this, this, this voice in our head saying, you have to be good enough for God to love you. You've been carrying this stress and this pressure, and you may even be at church today because you think, well, I've got to be good enough. I need to go to church. I haven't been in a long time. You know, we're so glad that you're here, but I want you to know that, that Jesus loved you before you showed up to church, and he loves you right now. Your works do not determine the love and the life that God has for you. And so what we see is that it is so harmful when you just add one little thing. What it says about carbon monoxide is carbon monoxide is harmful when breathed because it displaces oxygen in the blood and deprives the heart, brain, and other vital organs of oxygen. So what you see is that with adding carbon, it sucks the life out of you. It keeps you from actually receiving the oxygen that you need. And that's what happens is when we add works and we add this pressure to be good enough It sucks the life out of us. It keeps us from truly experiencing the life and the love that Jesus has for us. You know, and that's the the very thing that Satan wants to do. He wants to just twist it a little bit towards keeping you from the life that Jesus has for you. In John 10, this is what Jesus said. He said, the thief's purpose, so the enemy, the thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy my purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. You know, some translations say life and life to the fullest. The Greek word life is zoe, which means overflowing, abundant. Just this, this life that maybe not everything is going perfectly, but you have a joy that is over the top, that is above and beyond. Where life goes beyond breathing and eating and sleeping. And you are truly brought to life. I would say the majority of people that, that believe in Jesus, they, they, they have not been brought to life like that. And what happens is, is and, and this is myself included, it produces an ineffectiveness with believers. Because all that we're doing is we're, we're so focused on what we cannot do. We're so focused on the rules. And if uh, I need to make sure I don't do this or God's going to hate me or, or, or this, I want to be better than that person, so I'm going to produce this man-made rule, and I'm going to 
basically claim that I'm better than that person because I'm doing better at these rules that I've made myself. And we are so focused on the rules, we think we need something to set us apart, so we're just going to have these rules, or we can't do this stuff, and that's what sets us apart from the world. But what the Bible says is that what sets us apart from the world is the power of God's Spirit. It's not people looking and saying, oh, they can't do those things. It's saying he has a power. There, there is a source of that power that I don't have. And so when we truly are accepting the life that Jesus has for us, it produces a power. And there are certain things that we say no to, but it's because we know that is going to keep me from the life that Jesus has already offered to me. You know, and so these things lead us to say no to certain things, and yes to certain things, which leads us to our next point. Religion is all about God's test for you. All about God's test for you. Beside that, I want you to put the word achieve. Achieve. But a relationship is all about God's best for you. And beside that, put receive. Has anybody here uh, got onto the HQ trivia craze? Anybody? Anybody. Wow. Well, I don't want you to because you will take away from my winnings. Uh, So what HQ trivia is, and this is going to blow your mind. This is the coolest thing. It's taken over my life. Um, Just kidding. But HQ trivia, what happens is you uh, sign up. It's an app on your phone. And when you sign up at like 3 p.m. and 9 p.m. every single weekday and 9 p.m. on the weekends, uh, what happens is they have 12 questions that you go through. And if you get the first question right, then you get to go to question two. If you get the second question right, you go to question three. And you're supposed to answer 12 questions, okay? Um, I have gotten to question 10, uh, which in the HQ world is pretty good. Uh, but uh, thank you. And the, the dumbest question knocked me out. It said, out of these three, which has the most like franchises, uh, Starbucks, McDonald's, and Subway? I, yes, you guys know that now because you know I got it wrong, but Subway. Like, who? what in the world? Yeah, I thought McDonald's. Like, McDonald's is everywhere. Apparently, I'm wrong. I was out like five bucks. I would have been awesome. But what happens is with HQ, there's this $2,500 prize, and all the people that get through all 12 questions get to split that money. And so a lot of times people get $5, $10, but sometimes they raise the stakes. Uh, a couple weeks ago, people won $2,000. Yeah, you, should better, you, you better sign up for it. It's pretty awesome. But the thought process is if you get through these 12 questions and you get them all right, then you receive the prize, which is a split of $2,500 or $15,000 or $20,000, whatever it is. But you have to get through every single question in order to receive the prize. What religion does is it, we kind of have the same thing. And, and what happens is it becomes a, a test all right, and so the, the, this is what religion is. You got this test over here. You write your name, all right, and then, and then you have all these things that you know that you're supposed to do that the Bible tells you about. So, so let's say um, I know I'm supposed to read the Bible. I know I'm supposed to pray. I know I'm supposed to come to church, and then also I'm supposed to be giving. I'm supposed to, let's put family, and then let's put like serving, but, but the list goes on and on and on and on of all the things you know you're supposed to do. And, and what religion says is, is you go through all these things. Am I reading the Bible enough? Am I praying enough? How many times a month do I come to church? How much am I giving? How am I doing as a, as, as a, as a dad, as a mom, as a, as, a, as a spouse? 
How am I doing with serving? Am I on the dream team? And then what happens is you go through all these things and it produces a grade, okay? And then that grade determines whether or not you can receive God's love. Whatever percent that is, let's say I get a, let's say I get a 70%, I get a C, so that means I have an average relationship with God. He loves me about average. My relationship with God is, is that. But if I do good enough on these, if I start reading my Bible more, I start praying more, I come to church every single week, then I get the A plus, 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 you know? And then Jesus will love me. That's the thought of religion. It's a test. But the thing is, God's commands were never meant to be a test. It's not like HQ where you have to get through all these things and if you get through all of them, then you can experience the love that God has for you. What, what God's commands in the Bible are, because there are commands, things that we are supposed to do, things we aren't supposed to do, but the whole thought behind it is God has his best in mind for you. God has the best in mind for you. He's not angry at you. He's not wanting to, to just set up these tests to see who's good enough. Who's going to do? None of us are good enough. But what happens is he gave Jesus to be the sacrifice to where this best life is available to us. And anytime there's something we're supposed to do or not supposed to do, it is because there is God's best in mind for us. So let's say the Bible says we're supposed to stay away from drunkenness. The whole thing is that is a boundary because he knows that that is going to take us out of his best for us. Let's say that, you know, like it says, if you, if you lust after a woman, it's like committing adultery in your heart. That is a boundary, okay? And, and what happens is anytime there's something where you are, it's something you're not supposed to do, it's a boundary because there are things that aren't God's best for you. And anytime there, there is a, a command of something to do, it's because it, it basically keeps you in this life. It's an accelerator as far as when you write, read your Bible, when you pray, when you come to church, you experience that community, you experience that love, and all the things that are going to keep you in God's best for you. So when we shift our mindset like this to where, man, like do you remember taking tests that you, that you feel like you weren't prepared for? You were stressed out. You know, you throw up a prayer, God, please, man, I don't know anything about this. And, and it was this, 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 just this stress and this, this uh, you're constantly thinking about it all day. Man, I, I don't know if I'm going to be good enough. I don't, I don't know if I'm going to pass. What happens is when it's God's best for you, it, it creates a different mindset where it's like, yes, I come to church, but it's not because if I don't come enough, then God's not going to love me. It's because I know that God has the best in mind for me. Mark 2.27 it kind, of, it kind of shows this where it says, um, and Jesus said to them, the Sabbath was made to meet the needs of people and not people to meet the requirements of the Sabbath. You see, if, if people were made to meet the requirements of the Sabbath, it means that God created this test and one of them is the Sabbath and he decides, okay, let's see who can pass this. That's not, that's not what the Bible's saying. It's saying that God saw humans, he saw the best for you and then he decides, okay, I'm going to create these, these, these commands to keep them in the best, to keep them where they're operating in the love that I have for them. You know, sometimes what we don't realize is that a lot of the commands in the Bible, like let's take marriage, God created marriage because he knew the best for us. He knew how we're created. He knew, he knew that we're flawed. And he knew, okay, if I want these people operating in the absolute best that I have for them, I'm going, to, I'm going to create marriage. I came across this video, and it's actually, um, it's from a, a secular website. Like, it's not like a, a Christian website, or this isn't from, 
Right Now Media or any sort of uh, Christian uh, video database. This is a, a secular video, and it said, why are we still getting married? And I thought, I'm going to watch this. I'm sure it's just going to be like, man, marriage is an old institution. It's just religion. Like, just, you know, stop doing it. Just live together, whatever. But I was really interested in, in, in what it, it, it said, because I truly believe that it backs up this thing that when God gives us a command, it's because he truly knows what's best for us. So go ahead and check out this video. It's tempting to think of marriage as old-fashioned. Why not just live with someone and be done with it? What need for a public ceremony? Why the weird traditions, all those churches, temples, hymns, vows and prayers? Marriage must be a silly relic from the religious childhood of humankind, not designed for the more logical modern world. And yet it survives. The essence of marriage is to tie our hands, to frustrate our wills, to put high and costly obstacles in the way of splitting up. Why do we do this? Originally, we told ourselves that God wanted us to stay married. But even now, when God is not invoked, we keep making sure that marriage is rather hard to undo. There might, rather strangely, be some quite good, though uncomfortable, reasons why making it difficult to split up a union can be an advantage for its members. The marshmallow test was a celebrated experiment in the history of psychology, designed to measure children's ability to delay gratification and track the consequences of being able to think long term. Some three-year-old children were offered a marshmallow, but told they would get two if they held off from eating the first one for five minutes. It turned out a lot of children just couldn't make it through this period. It was too tempting. The less immediate benefit of gobbling the marshmallow in front of them was stronger than the strategy of waiting. Crucially, it was observed that these children went on to have lives blighted by a lack of impulse control and fared much worse than the children who were best at subordinating immediate fun for long-term benefit. Relationships are perhaps no different. Here too, many things feel very urgent. We're angry and want to get out. We're excited by a new person and need to abandon our present partner at once. And yet, as we look around for the exit, every way seems blocked. It would cost a fortune. It would be embarrassing. It would take an age. This isn't a coincidence. Marriage is a giant inhibitor of impulse. Chances of development increase hugely when we don't keep running away to people who will falsely reassure us there's nothing too wrong with us. Over time, the argument for marriage has shifted. It's no longer about external forces having power over us. What we are correctly now focused on is the psychological point of making it hard to throw it all in. For the last 50 years, the burden of intelligent effort has been on attempting to make separation easier. The challenge now lies in another direction, in trying to remind ourselves why immediate flight doesn't always make sense, in trying to see the point of holding out for the second marshmallow. Yeah, isn't that, isn't that crazy? Like, when you really see it, it's like, man, when God created these commands and, and he put these things in the Bible, it's not simply so that he has this control over you. It's because he knows what's best for you. And some of you, you need a shift in thinking because you do not believe right now that God has the best in mind for you. You think he's angry at you. He looks at your past and, and just looks down on you. God loves you right now, where you are, and he has the best in mind for you. 
There may be things in your life that are leading to death. They are leading to, to just the life being sucked out of you. And Jesus wants you operating in the best life, but he has the best in mind for you. He doesn't have a test where he can show you how bad you scored. He has the best in mind for you. He loves you. He wants the best for you. And so that shift in thinking is is so important. It's not about getting a good enough grade. It's about accepting, receiving the best that God has for you. And then the very last thing is that religion results in obligation and a relationship results in celebration. Galatians 4, 9 through 10, it says, So now that you know God, or should I say now that God knows you, why do you want to go back again and become slaves once more to the weak and useless spiritual principles of this world? You are trying to earn favor with God by observing certain days or months or seasons or years. And so, so you know, what it says there is observing certain days or months or seasons or years. What it was is there was these certain celebrations like Passover and different things that were meant to celebrate what God had done, but it turned into an obligation where it's like, hey, look, I'm, I'm, I'm celebrating uh, Passover the exact, like, the exact way it was told. I'm doing enough good things. And, and it produced this, this obligation-based religion. We do things in celebration of how good God is. Celebration of what he's done, not obligation because we're scared of him being mad at us. Because we're scared if I don't do this, then God's going to be mad at me. No, it's a celebration to say, God, I'm going to celebrate what you did. I'm going to celebrate your love. You know, 1 John 5, 3, it says, Loving God means keeping his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. You know, when you truly give your life to Jesus and you just focus on Jesus, it brings you to life. You know, and, and I think that, that we need to focus more not on obligation but celebration. I want my life to be a celebration. I want to do the things that bring me to life. And not just focus on the test or the obligations. In John 2, this was Jesus' very first miracle and, and he was at this wedding that had run out of wine. And it says, standing nearby were six stone water jars used for Jewish ceremonial washing. So this obligation, hey, you need to use these Jewish ceremonial uh, washing jars. Each could hold 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus told the servants, fill the jars with water. When the jars had been filled, he said, now dip some out and take it to the master of ceremonies. So the servants followed his instructions and 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 it produced this wine and they were confused. They're like, this is the best wine. Why are you serving this at the very end? And, and what we see is, I think it was, John was very uh, particular in saying that, hey, it wasn't just jars filled with water. He said they were used for Jewish ceremonial washing. And I think there's significance in this. One, it represents Jesus's blood. Hey, you do not have to just have these obligations and these these things that you're doing just to cover up your sin. We have the blood of Jesus, which is represented by wine and communion, that completely, um, it, it redeems us. But I also believe that it was showing that that the ceremonial washing, the obligation was turned to celebration. The ceremonial jars with water, Jesus used that very same thing to show, hey, I'm, I want celebration. We're going to use this to celebrate the marriage of this couple. I want to ask you, what is your life? 
Does it feel like obligation? Man, we got to go to church. I got to read my Bible. Man, I got to pray. Got to get in a small group. Man, I got to go to growth track. I got to do these different things. I have to do these different things. It's an obligation. Or is it a celebration? Are you constantly complaining about how hard it is? Gosh, man, I'm doing all this stuff. Or is it a celebration? Man, life may be hard, but I'm celebrating because of what God has done. You know, the difference would be kind of like, um, you know, the school I went to, we used to do these competitions, and a lot of it was singing. And I don't know why, but they put me in this small ensemble. It was, all these, it was like six guys, middle school, at our peak awkward phase, having to sing songs. And so I had a red tie on, I remember, dress shirt, supposed to look really nice, iron your shirt, you're supposed to come out, and it was this song, it was a goofy song about an auctioneer, I had to learn my parts, I had to know the exact notes, I remember coming out, and you're supposed to smile, you have to smile, or they'll, they'll, they'll dock you, so you go out, and you, you know, at that phase, you don't know what to do with your arms, like where to hold them, or whatever, and so it's like, and then it's like, hi, we are the small ensemble. We'll be singing, blah, blah, blah. And then you had to sing the right notes and smile enough and look good enough and have a good enough posture. And all the while, there are these, these judges that are sitting there, their notes. And you know, man, I didn't hit the right note. And you'd see them, like, scribbling, you know. You're thinking, man, what are they saying? Did I just cost us first place what what happened and it was this stress and this fake smile and this this obligation i need to hit the right notes i need to look happy enough it's this obligation of singing pretty stress and anxiety guilt and i was constantly just looking at the people judging me thinking what do they think some of you that has been your relationship with god i need to look happy enough i need to do the right things I'm looking at the people who are judging me and, and, and if they don't think that I do good enough, then I'm failing. It's this obligation to sing. But I believe that with singing, there can be celebration instead of obligation. There's this video I'm going to show you as we wrap up. And it's from the movie Greatest Showman, and, uh, which just came out. I, mean, I haven't seen the, vid- the actual movie, but it's about uh, P.T. Barnum, and, and it's this kind of musical and in this, this video, to set it up, and they'll kind of explain it a little bit, but what, what they're kind of talking about is that uh, Hugh Jackman, they were supposed to do this thing where they greenlit, you know, in, in, in front of all these people that, that were going to decide whether or not they're going to uh, produce this movie. So they brought everybody in, and they were going to sing some of these songs to, to where they would say, okay, yeah, I see it, I get it, we're going to do this movie. And Hugh Jackman, though, what happened is, is a couple days before, and he'll explain this, but he, he had 80 stitches put in his nose. And the doctor said, you can't, you can't sing. You can't sing. And for me, I'd be like, sweet, that's awesome. I don't have to be judged. I, don't have, I can just stand there, and nobody can judge me because the doctor said I don't have to sing. But he has a different mindset. And so go ahead and check out, check out this video. To get uh, The Greatest Showman greenlit, we had to get everyone into New York City to hear a read-through. 
where we'd read through the script and sing it. We needed the Fox executives, we needed Hugh, we needed the producers, and it took eight months to get everyone in the room. <laughs> and, and once uh, we managed to get this date, uh, Hugh calls me the day before and says... That I had just had a skin cancer cut out of my nose. Uh, all was fine. I knew you were worried about that. <laughs> Uh, but I had 80 stitches in my nose and uh, my doctor said, you're not allowed to sing. I said to Hugh, who have you told? Because you cannot tell anyone because no one is flying to New York City to hear you not sing a musical. Which was a good advice. So the next day, everyone arrives and I get there and I explain to everyone why I wasn't singing. I also explained, this was Michael's suggestion, a good one, that I should stand just to be clear to everyone that I will be singing on the day and gesticulate and, and of course, act all the scenes. And he did. Yeah. So to, to, to Hugh's credit, he did that for every single number. He stood up there. He, he was the great showman until <laughs> one number.
Man, so you see the difference? There's obligation. Man, I have to sing this. I have to sing the right notes. And then there's celebration. Just a side note, probably one of the clearest pictures I've had in a long time of what heaven's going to look like. Man, us worshiping with complete abandonment of wondering what people will think and just saying, I am so in love with this God that gave everything for me that I'm going to give everything to him. And that's what celebration is. That's what a relationship is. It's not this religion to say, God, please love me. I've done enough good things. God, please don't be mad at me. I didn't go to church today. God, please don't be mad at me. I didn't read my Bible. But God, man, I'm so in love with you. I want to give you my everything. And I know that there's people in here. You've got the chains of that guilt. You've been dealing with your whole life. And and you've been trying so hard to get God to love you. I want you to know that God loves you right now so much. So much. And you can... You can drop the show. You can drop the act. You can, you can drop the test and receive God's best for you. In that song, what it says is, is uh, for years and years I chased their cheers, the crazy speed of always needing more. But when I stop and see you here, I remember who all this was for. That passage we read earlier in Revelation 2, it says, But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. I want to ask you, have you overcomplicated it? Have you allowed the works to to come in and, and, and take all the life out from you? I hope when you leave today, you can have a peace, knowing that God has the best for you in mind. You can receive that. You can know that. Some of you in here, you, you've been trying to do enough good things to get God to love you. You've been trying to act good enough, be good enough. And I want to tell you, if that's you today, just like Jesus says, he has a life for you that is life and life to the fullest. It is eternal life. And it's not because of what you have done. It's not because you got a good enough grade on the test. You're not going to get to heaven someday and God's going to take a look at your test and say, ah, you pass or you fail. What he's going to say is he's going to look and he's going to see, did you receive the life that I gave you through my son, Jesus?